0: Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Certifying Autonomous Flight with Luke Van Dyke, CEO of Dedalian. Luke, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, Luke, you're the CEO of DataLin. Did I say it right?
1: Almost. I say the Dalian, but the I Dalian. accept any. I, 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 when I chose the name, I knew I was going to have to accept all the pronunciations that people can come up with.
0: So um, it, it's great talking to you. We talked just briefly, but before this, and I, I've learned about your company through a, a former Intel employee. Really fascinating stuff. But before we get into that, uh, Luke, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. Um, My name is Luc van Dijk. I'm a physicist by uh, by training, actually a theoretical physicist, but I bluffed my way through a career of programming computers. Um, I uh, moved from Zurich, from the Netherlands, where I was born and raised, to uh, Zurich in Switzerland. When Google opened an office there back in 2005, um, I worked for Google for quite a long time, programming computers. Then I had the good fortune, uh, an amazing opportunity to work for SpaceX on the flight controls in uh, Hawthorne, um, California, for uh, almost a year and a half. Uh, Then for various reasons that we need to go into, I returned to Switzerland, which is very nice and comfortable and an excellent place to raise kids. And um, uh, a couple of things came together uh, that made me decide to start this company. Um, There were a couple of things from my past, uh, having worked for Google having worked for SpaceX, seeing that, you know, you can do things the aerospace way, you can do things the internet way, and you can fuse them and do amazing things. Uh, But certification is really um, uh, something that you should use to make your thing better, rather than see it as a bureaucratic handicap. That was something I got from the episode. Um, American-style ambition uh, was something that, you know, you have there, that you have less of here. Um, and that you can do, um, uh, that, you know, flying is an interesting problem space to be in. Um, so these things came together and that's what made me decide to start Dalian in uh, 2016. And our goal was to bring, uh, modern robotics and artificial intelligence and machine learning, computer vision, and all these things to the world of, uh, certifiable flight control systems. And the general belief back in 2016 was that, you know, machine learning, nobody knows how that works. Therefore it's fundamentally uncertifiable. And on the other hand, you know, the culture from academia and getting stuff to work or, you know, programming things for phones is completely disjoint from how you program stuff for aircraft or for rockets for that matter. So I thought it would be interesting to join that, uh, to bridge these gaps and to create um, uh, a way to use these modern uh, techniques in in aircraft which you know it's it's a solution for an actual interesting problems namely how do you fly at scale uh without relying very deep in the control loop on on the human and um so that's what we set out to do today we're about 100 uh, people uh, mostly in zurich um I poached one of your employees yes she did um, <laughs> the one we just talked about <laughs> to be my head of business development in the United States uh, so we have uh, her name is Jemaya Bodane and she was supposed to be here with me but she's currently developing business uh, she has the Phoenix Arizona uh, office and um, uh, deals with all our key accounts of which there are many in the United States um and then we have a little data annotation office in uh, Latvia uh, and the core of the engineering happens here in Zurich. And what we've built so far is um, visual-based systems that, you know, just like the human eye uh, can see where you are, where you can fly, where others are flying that you shouldn't fly into, and, and where you can land, which are arguably the three most important things you do if you're a pilot on your own in visual uh, conditions in aircraft. So, so do you yes. – I mean, that, that
0: was a lot to unpack. Yes. I got to unpack a little bit of that. So – you're you're targeting primarily these autonomous flying, like, right. like air taxis in urban areas, and the, I would love to have
1: that. I would yes love it. yes, and, and who, who wouldn't? Right? And uh, they were definitely the inspiration to get started. So uh, in 2016, there were a couple of companies in Germany and also in the United States that were you know starting with these eVTOLs that were called electrical uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing for urban air mobility or, or local regional mobility. And uh, what struck me was that electrification of the would make would make everything a lot simpler. Uh, and things that are simpler are safer and cheaper uh, and you know generally better. And uh, so the total number of aircraft that are built in the world in, in, in any given year currently is around 1,500. Uh, sorry, 3,500. So there's almost nothing compared to 80 million cars but if this urban air mobility takes off, you know, you're going to have 50,000 jobies or, you know, a hundred thousand uh, Betas or E flying around uh, the world, which would you know, massively change uh, the way uh, the aerospace industry is, is stacked. So I thought, ha, there's an opportunity because how are these people going to find people with a commercial pilot license? Um, so that's what got me started. Since then two things happened. First of all, The timelines that I and I guess everyone had for these urban air mobilities was, uh, you know, it should be flying by now. Yeah, of Um, course. And uh, turns out that I saw, so that didn't quite happen. Uh, The other thing that happened was uh, we saw that in existing aircraft, there is actually a lot of headroom and there's a lot of things to be done. Uh, Also, we learned uh, through discussions with very people very high up at uh, relevant authorities that uh, barging in and saying uh, okay we're going to take out the human put in this computer here trust us it's safe you know it's not a it's not a recipe for success know, we knew that you know you have to actually certify it but uh, they gave us the very important hint that we should be a good co-pilot before we try to be a good pilot and that actually made us rethink our whole marketing approach so with respect to these vtols that was definitely the target we were going for uh i guess this is a general theme in aerospace. The timelines are so long that things are only started by people who didn't get the memo. It was hard. You know, I, I'm guilty. So I thought it would be done by now. These things would be flying. Uh, but uh, that doesn't undercut the fundamental assumption that uh, there's a viable business case here by solving problems. Um, these problems. Some of these details are definitely going gonna, definitely gonna to happen. Uh, and they will need this. Um, because in current uh, instrument flight rules, you can have one air taxi over London, and then everybody else stay the hell out of the airspace because there's the air taxi is there, everybody's there. So if you want to fly a hundred of these things over London or Paris or New York, you know you're going to have to do something different than flying in instrument rules. If you fly in visual rules, you know you get to maybe a couple more, but then the uh, responsibility to not fly into each other uh, is 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 on board, and so you have to have a system that flies much better than than humans to keep all these things apart, you need to introduce some vehicle-to-vehicle communication, but you can't really rely on a central system that solves it for everyone because the rules of the air today allow, you know, people just apply there. And these rules are set down in international treaties that change on the timescale of years. So one of our basic ingredients was, you have to fly like a human between humans in a system that's designed you know from 120 years ago around humans. So humans are actually very deep in the control loop holding a stick. And in most aircraft today, if you let go of the stick, eventually you will die, right? So uh, the autopilot does a trivial amount of, um, uh, of automation in cruise, but for almost all aircraft, you have to disengage that and do the landing by hand. There's no to land, helicopter, right, yeah, yeah. For, for example, to land. And then there's uh, a rule uh, which in the United States is called uh, Part 91.113, which says that, even if you're flying instrument rules or visual flight rules, doesn't matter. If the conditions are visual, other people might be flying on visual rules, and that means it's your responsibility to look out the window to not fly into them. So there's no instrument today that can do the looking out the window. So it's it's actually on visual. It's in the law. And these things change very slowly, um, and there's a good reason that they are the way they are. So there's, there's a bad reason, which is the legacy. But the good reason is, well, it works, and uh, visual information is the highest density of information around us. thing mean, it's not an accident that we have eyes that are sensitive in the spectrum right. so you want to build systems that can fly like a human evaluating uh, that information and fusing it all this is another thing that is in aircraft today uh, very much uh, not the case every instrument is is by itself clamoring for the attention of a pilot who has the job of fusing it all into one coherent picture of the situation. And this is on purpose because not all the instruments are equally reliable, and you have to make some judgment calls to say, I'm not trusting this GPS because I look outside and I can still see that I'm following this coastline, so somebody must have been messing with my GPS. GPS generally, it's a world miracle that the thing exists, it's not actually safe enough to conduct uh, flight operations on. For example, you're not, you're not supposed to land on GPS, I mean people do it, but you're really not supposed to. So the next thing you have to do is uh, certify that, because in in the air, nothing nothing goes in an airplane without the FAA signing off on it.
0: Signing off. And uh, now, is it, a, a quick question on that, because is, is does the FAA kind of control all the airspace throughout the world?
1: No, uh, no. But uh, I know it uh,
0: doesn't. But I mean, but if if I get an FAA approval on something, does everyone else kind of say, "Well, if you got an FAA, it's good enough"?
1: Yeah, well, so. Uh, it's, I don't know. I, it, well, it's not. It's not. It's not that simple. But uh, between uh, the FA and the you know, if the systems get certified, then, um, you're in good shape. Uh, then, then then you're you're in a good start. To the, the, the rest of the world will probably recognize or copy it. With, so there's different kinds of, of certification. This is about the instruments and the and the equipment. Um, uh, the other crucial thing is the the right to operate in a certain way. You know, and so I have this airline. I fly from here to there, doing this kind of operation. I, you know, I, I I do search and rescue, or I have this commercial. Um, um, uh, what do you call it? You know, just transporting people to holidays, right. or 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 I have cargo transports, or organs, or um, uh, that particular type of operation is also subject to certification. And there, the FAA is you know is Rules FAA land, also known as the United States of America, yeah. Um, and EASA rules the EASA land, also known as the European Union and some nearby things. And um, uh, so these are two aspects that you have to you have to both have and bring. Um, but uh, so if you have those two, then you have a good start. So so d- just real
0: quick, because when you were talking, I was thinking this sounds a lot like the the problems that having with autonomous vehicles and certification mm. and mm. i need visual i need so mm-hmm. would you say a, a lot of the the technical and and political or certification issues are very similar to autonomous vehicles
1: in, in some ways yes in some ways not so we're really in a different corner of the design space um uh, so first of all, driving is very unregulated, no, you know, uh, compared to the airspace compared to, okay. Uh, that's, that's And, um, the other thing is that if you drive and your robot doesn't know what to do anymore, your robot can try to gently pull the brakes, over and stop, yeah. you know, flash the red light and say, I don't know what we're doing anymore. Let me stop. <laughs> you flying, can't do that
0: in an airplane.
1: <laughs> no, it's called landing and it's already the hardest thing. So if your computer doesn't know how to land anymore, you know, you have, you have quite a big problem. So, yeah. uh, and and from a, uh, you know, remember I'm a physicist, from a physics point of view, you, apart from the half mv squared component of your energy, you have the m times g times the he- the height component of the energy, which is the thing that really, you know, kills you. That's um, what killed you, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, falling yeah. out of the sky. <laughs> and um, so, uh, so with that, uh, the barrier to put, to try out new things, to put new things in is really far more rigorous than uh, in automotive. In automotive, you have that. these certification levels for safety systems that goes to ISIL level D, which is the highest. So ISIL, A, B, C, D. Uh, in, in aerospace, it's called DAL, the design insurance level, which goes from E, meaning you know it's cabin light, has no safety impact, uh, D C B A. so A is the highest. Um, and uh, one of the things your colleague, your ex-colleague, uh, analyzed in, in her time at Intel is that uh, this ISIL, D, this highest level, is roughly the same amount of work as as doll C, and to get the doll A is, you know, twice more work, uh, wow. you know, it's a twice bigger stack of paper with evidence that it actually works as advertised. So it's far more rigorous, and one of the consequences is that the systems that are allowed to do these kind of things are really simple, and you know, it's technology of the 1980s and 90s, um, and you know, they can do it super reliable, but it's also fairly simple stuff. And it requires a human to switch it on and off if it if it doesn't work and it's deliberately not integrated. And it comes with all kinds. Of, so there's a there's a massive barrier to get into that space. Um, um, but the robotic problem is actually much simpler. So driving is a much harder problem than flying, because in driving, you have this super complex environment where you have to understand the difference between a rock and a dog and a traffic sign and a bicycle that actually goes this way or one. That's yeah. When you're flying, you just, car. just avoid right. things, right? Right. Just if you can see company. it, do not fly into it yeah. unless you are really sure that you want to land on it. So that's a problem. And this is one of the things I already realized back when I started the company. So that's a size of problem that you can hope to solve with a fairly small team, right? So these, these cars, that was, you know, in 2016, already more than a decade on the way since the DARPA challenge was won right. by uh, Sebastian Thrun. Um, uh, so, you know, you're going to need hundreds of millions of dollars and in insanely big teams, and you're going to have this big shakeout between big companies trying to do this. And then, even then, there's going to be, you know, a valley of overpromises and, and a and a a trough of uh,
0: just dreams
1: yeah, and all that. So you know, we have a we have a small version of that too, but uh the general premise has remained intact so that you know, flying we can we can we can actually do simple things. And so one of the insights that came with these comments from from people high up in the FAA, you know, be a good co-pilot first, is also made me realize that if you if you come in with okay, I'm going to take the human out, put this autopilot in, you know, then you immediately have the uphill battle to fight. Uh, Oh, but is that safe enough? Whereas there are millions of pilots worldwide that uh, have to fly uh, single pilot operations. Poor them. What if we gave all these pilots an extra copilot?
0: An extra copilot.
1: Now we have a clear safety case where we can start by adding immediate safety. Um, Also some cost, but we'll we'll work on that separately. So once we have um, uh, this copilot rolled out, we can now do things that previously required dual-pilot operations. Maybe we can do some of them with a the pilot and uh, an electric co-pilot. And then maybe in the course of uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of flight hours, we can gather the evidence that it's actually better if the electric co-pilot does the landing in the takeoff because uh, he tends to fly into fewer masts. The common thing with helicopters is flying into a mast that you just saw. You just forgot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that. And then you know, we can say, okay, we can move to the phase where you know it's better if the human doesn't touch anything and here's the evidence to do so. And uh, so these these are battles that will have to be fought on on actual data and, and you know, and, and things that are true uh, and not on pipe dreams. So with respect to that, I've had to tell my investors, listen, you know, in the course of the years, we've got the understanding that we're not going to be done in 2021, but uh, definitely in 2028. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so we we are not in a hurry to do things wrong, uh, and and you have to do this carefully. So anyone who promises you uh, beyond visual line of sight, full autonomy, you know, for arbitrary operations next year, you know, good luck. The technology may be in principle there, but the evidence that but is the acceptable evidence, right, to get is, is not. And and that's just the the autonomous flying part. So for many of these new airframes, you also have you know you have new propulsion you have new structures you have new types of operations you know everything is new so uh, so they have so to get work.
0: certified independent
1: right 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 so you have to first have your airframe certified you know to do piloted operations there are some that want to go to autonomy directly but then they also say okay so which is also going to take us longer to get started um so in the meantime we think we have a valid uh, business case with existing aircraft uh, both rotorcraft and. Um, uh and, and smaller aircraft, not the big part that's called part twenty five the big airliners they're not actually that broken, so you know they're expensive, but they are super safe you know the there was yeah. a year recently where there were zero crashes worldwide of any of these, and then the next one were was the big disaster, but that was you know a common cause upstream that we shall not discuss um yeah. but so that is it that's not the most broken and it's not uh the most urgent to fix, but anything that's smaller. You know, it's more than 19 seats. Um, uh, all the helicopters. The probability to die per hour is roughly the same as riding a motorcycle, which oh. you know, for some people is acceptable. <laughs> it's, brother, a brother, it's, it's, a, it's a trade-off. There's a lot of headroom uh, for safety and also for scaling the operations. Um, and um, yeah, so that's an, that's a very interesting field to be in.
0: So so Luke a, a quick question cuz the things that you're learning around getting this certification for autonomous right cuz now we have AI's and machine learning that are starting to infiltrate all the work that we do right uh, like chat gpt is a great example right that shaking the world and can yeah. i take any of the any of the learnings that you guys have learned on how to certify autonomy um, for mm-hmm. aircraft, can I can I take some of those learnings and apply them into other fields?
1: Um, perhaps some- yes. Uh, I need to think about that. But first, we need to distinguish autonomy and and this AI thing. Uh, okay. So first of all, AI is of course a marketing term. It means anything yes, we course. don't quite know how to do yet. <laughs> but so what we do is machine learning. And the reason we do machine learning is that's the only way to solve a problem like, is there an aircraft in this picture? Or, you know, where in this picture is the runway just from pixels? The only way to currently solve that is by using machine learning. So it's a means and not an end. Then these are building blocks you need to get to the types of operations you might want to do without pilots. So if, so if that's your end goal, you're, 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 you're bumped into this. We can already do things that are not fully autonomous, but still add value, because there's no other instrument on board that can look outside the window and say, ha, there's a runway, right? Right. um, So um, uh, that's on the AI versus... Yeah, so on... learnings, uh, learnings, 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 learnings. learnings. Yes. So actually, a large part of what we do as a company, uh, which we haven't talked about in the last half hour yet, is so first you need to make it work, right? Then you need to provide the evidence that it works to get it certified. What we had to do, we also had to develop the theory of how to produce the evidence that it works for a machine learning system. And that's actually a very interesting cause, because with these normal, traditional, simple avionic systems, um, uh, they work or not, and you can test it, and they work, you know, you they take a couple of bits of information out of the environment and manipulate a couple of bits. Even an engine controller for a turbine engine is relatively you know it measures a couple of variables and it controls a couple of variables and it does it very reliably and you can test that and it's not trivial to get it right and it's you know it's easy to get it wrong but it we know how to do that so now you come in with a camera as a sensor now i have 12 megapixels and all these 12 megapixels can have a value between 0 and 255 so the input space is ginormous it's and really you know yeah. what what kind of statement do you want to make about it works even the input space itself is is too large to make such a statement. And that's that's for a reason. If you could easily say this is the crisp boundary between something that works and doesn't work, you probably didn't need machine learning. So you need machine learning to begin with because the problem nature is such that you need something that can deal with the inherent uncertainty that is the problem. So what we did is uh, we went to EASA first. That's the European version of the FAA. And we proposed a method, well, basically a framework to think about it. And then they said, that's very timely because we were just scratching our head what to do next. And so, you know, come in. And uh, we did two projects with them called the Innovation Partnership Projects, in which uh, we paid EASA for their consultancy, but they added some consultants for free because the topic interested them uh, uh so a consequence of that was that we owned the outcome of that but then you know we wanted the world to stop thinking that it was impossible to certify these things so we published these reports uh or you know the bulk of it and then uh, the FAA uh was interested and wanted to actually see you know if if that would stick if the, if the rubber uh hit the runway the tarmac um and so we were invited to do a project with the FAA in uh, this was uh, in 2021 and that report also came out because the American taxpayer money, well spent, uh, entirely public. And what we did there is we looked at the visual landing guidance. And in these three reports, what we developed was uh, the theory of how to argue that a machine learning component is safe, which is slightly different than normal hardware and software. Um, so we have the system that takes in a camera and then uh, there's a small component in there that tries to draw a box around an aircraft in the air. And it should be, Which is really hard, and also for humans. So first of all, humans miss most of them because they don't actually see that much. But even though if I can show you the image and you go, is that an aircraft? I'm not sure it could be cloud. And um, so you have to make a system that tries to make a judgment call, and then you have to guarantee that that system works well enough. So first you have to establish what is well enough. And we want to be able to see 95% of all traffic that comes within this distance. Good, so we have that system requirement. Now, How? suppose we make a machine learning component that gets it right 90% of the time. Um, Then you have to do two things. You have to first make sure that that 90% of the time is actually good enough in the context of the bigger system. So fortunately, we don't have just one picture to go on. Also, when you land, it's not like you look out the window once, close your eyes, and then stay there. So so there's uh, some inherent... um, uh design freedom you have in making the system such that this 90% actually multiplies to something large enough um or that technically that 1 minus 90% multiplies to something large enough that right. it's unlikely that you'll miss the runway or that you know I'm not seeing the runway let's not land here you know let's defer to a higher level system um, so that's one. And then the other thing you have to do is you have to guarantee that this 90% actually holds when you go out and fly. So you train your system in the lab and you evaluate and you test it. You say, okay, you know, this is acceptable. I have my system requirements which say that this is good enough. Now I go out and suddenly you know, the sun is from the east instead of from the west and my system completely falls apart because I never thought to test with the sun coming from there. So how do you guarantee that the thing actually still keeps working when you go out into the wild? And that turns out to be dependent on how you treat your data. So in machine learning, instead of locking some engineers in the room with chocolate and coffee and requirements and waiting until they produce some code that works, you have a computer program uh, called the machine learning algorithm you know, exploiting the design space of what's called the model, which is not a computer program. And when you've come to an acceptable model, you go and deploy it in the field. And that's driven by the data. So what you need for that is that the data that you use to evaluate your performance on uh, is actually representative of the data you have out in the field, which is you know it sounds trivial and obvious, but it's actually a massive shift from you know how things were, uh, how you could do things in the more um, traditional uh, right. traditional system. Yeah. Now you still need those traditional methods because this machine learning thing runs in software that runs on hardware. So this hardware still has to be certified, this software still has to be certified, but there's an extra thing you have to do. You have to certify that the emergent behavior of this neural network or whatever machine learning thing you, you did is adequate to, do, to solve the problem that you are trying to solve. So that's a whole thing that we developed with um, uh, EASA and, and the FAA, and that we're now test driving with a partner they're called Everdyne, based in Florida, and they're making for us uh, the box and the camera, and we make the software. And we're applying for what's called an STC, Supplemental Type Certificate, under the FAA with concurrent validation by EASA. And so the software and the hardware will be ready pretty soon. And then there might be some more months before we're done presenting the, argue, the, the, the safety argument to uh, the FAA and EASA. And then we hope to be the first uh, system in the world that has an STC to design assurance level C, this DAL C, um, Uh, which is not trivial for a machine learning component and it's specifically for the application of traffic detection for uh human pilot assistance so it's not immediately you know the the most ambitious fully autonomous flying here's a whole system that does everything but you're
0: you're taking it step by step which i understand
1: and and it will be a beachhead into certifiable uh machine learning systems so you know once we show that this is possible and that you know we, we we've covered the gaps we have a system that has a clear safety benefit, right? It should actually work because if it beeps all the time and there's no aircraft there, you know, then that's, that's it's actually dangerous. If you give the pilot a false sense of uh, safety, it's actually also super dangerous. So, so we're going to have a system that actually meets a non-trivial safety bar, and and that we use the methods uh, to assure that the data was treated correctly.
0: Yeah, do you think I can use that same method in other machine learning systems? Like, for example, a, a forklift in right. a factory,
1: right? I I would I would think uh, yes. So now we've come to actually answer the question that you asked me 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Is this reusable somewhere else? So this method of assuring based on the data, um, so it's a combination of data assurance guarantees that your machine learning component works, and Your architectural mitigation makes sure that the finite failure probability actually adds up to something reasonable at the system level. Those two things are I think generally applicable uh, and um, and and could serve elsewhere but, yes. so
0: yeah so can can someone that's in this field right I mean you don't want to capture the whole uh, machine learning certification field that's just
1: nice no. yes.
0: Where where can they get more information on following the same approach? Because it sounds like a it sounds like a very well thought out, methodical approach that I would want um, to use. Do you guys have a white paper? Do you have anything?
1: So we have uh, we have some blog posts and white papers on our on our website, uh, DDLN.ai. So you don't have to remember where all the vowels go. Uh, <laughs> where we refer to some some more things so we tend to focus on aerospace because it's a big enough problem and it's a large enough hurdle so the temptation to spread out either into uncertified systems or into other uh domains is always high but you know we've managed to keep a relative um, tight focus on manned flight um and um yeah um, no, I,
0: the, the reason I'm asking is a lot of my a lot of my customers at, um, and my listeners well,
1: they're
0: they're dealing with machine learning and AI techniques now, right. and and they're trying to say, can I trust this? Right. Doesn't need to be yeah. certified. What what are yeah. the best methods? Right. Right.
1: So for this particular application, and we've tried this out particularly on image processing, so convolutional neural network that recognizes things in images. Uh, that's what we're focused on. Things probably change if you're talking about language processing so this whole chat right. GPT that you mentioned earlier so it's a massive accomplishment, but it, it it's it's full of garbage so in my opinion it's um, so people people used to think as a one of the applications of AI is try to understand more what human intelligence is like. And when I look at these chat GPT. Examples. I, I'm not sure about human intelligence, but I have a great model for human stupidity, which is so you mindlessly ramble and repeat stuff that you read before, you know, without any creative thought or insight. And yeah, exactly. it looks plausible, but it's the kind of statement you, you know, you expect from the extremes on the political spectrum. And there's no, there's nobody, you know, the, the, <laughs> the chat GPT does not go, well, I hear myself say this, but now I hear myself say this. It doesn't sound right. What irks me here? Hmm uh so it's, i it's, actually
0: uh, i i actually interviewed chat gpt on the podcast oh okay and um, asked it about ethics and bias and things yeah. and you're right it was just regurgitating the things that it right had. so so that's actually dangerous
1: that. if people don't realize how unreliable it is so i'm sure it's a great tool and it can be good to great use but so 20 years ago i re- remember I, I told you i worked at google so you know finding things on the internet was it was hooray you know it was revolutionary oh, yeah yeah, all yeah. things you know with a little footnote you know that we find it doesn't mean it's true right so you can find <laughs> some things in the internet wait, yeah nobody told my this. kids yeah. think
0: that google my kids think that google or alexa knows everything
1: well you know we did our best i say on behalf of my former colleagues yeah but- uh, there are some risks associated with it. So now you have this great tool that can, you know, and it's a it's a UI tool that can do can be a great interface to a document search system. But the crap that comes up, you know, it's uh, garbage in, garbage we, out, right? Wow. Well, so well, no, it, it, it's more subtle, um, you know, oh. it because it looks, uh, you don't you don't see it's garbage, right? Yeah, so no, it looks, yeah, they put lipstick on it for sure. Yeah. To, to, to put uh, any kind of guarantee on it, you know, it's going to take some serious research and it's going to boil down to the quality of the data. So you, know, if you if you feed it opinions, you have the true fact that that was somebody's opinion, but that doesn't make it true. So that's a subtlety that I don't know how that's modeled in the generative transformer um, topology um But it might be a detail that the system does yeah. not actually deal with. But you know, who knows? So it's going to require someone to sit down and think about, you know, what does it mean to certify? So uh, that was actually our opening offer to EASA. um You know, people think it's not certifiable, but certifiable means to provide certainty, right? That's that's I think that's what it literally means. So why don't we go over all the sources of uncertainty and try to put bounds on them? You know, how can how can we limit the uncertainty? And sometimes uh, uncertainty is actually your friend. So if you're if you have a physics background or you had some thermodynamics, you know that uh, the law of large numbers and the central limit theorem uh, can actually be your friends and can can help uh, things. So uh, Sebastian Trun, who wrote, uh, who who won this DARPA competition that basically jump started the whole self-driving uh, um, uh, movement, uh, he wrote a very good book uh, about robots. And the introduction uh, he spells out that in the world is full of uncertainty. So if you want to make robots that operate in the real world, you have to build systems that can deal with this uncertainty. uncertainty and yeah. this is exactly where, where where the the friction with aerospace was, because in, in aerospace, you know, we don't want any uncertainty. You know, If it's uncertain, it's illegal. So you have all these systems that do very certain things, and then all the uncertainty is delegated to the human pilot who sits there making judgment calls. So if you just build one an extra instrument along the same lines, you have one more instrument that clamors for attention, and the pilot has to make a call. So we start right. from the other side. If you want to deal with this uncertainty, first of all, we're going to fuse all the sensors. You know, we're going to get this every bit of information we can get, and then we build algorithms that trust nothing and try to sort out what's our state in the world. And if you start designing from that side, then you're in this machine learning territory. So then you have to say, is that spot? Certain enough to be an aircraft that I want to make an evasive maneuver, or am I going to, you know, make judgment calls and not do that? And so if you start designing it with that goal, then you naturally arrive at, okay, now I have to prove that this is good enough. And then, so then you're closer to certification of people as a qualified pilot, which you do by, you know, you test them out a bit, and then you poke and you you prove, and and you you trust them, then uh, hard mathematical proof. Um, So that's, I think... That's really what we added to the discussion. In, in well, hey, th-
0: Luke, this has been fascinating. Um, a whole new area for me uh, is autonomous flight. I, you know, I don't know anything about it. You've educated me quite a bit. And machine learning—I know a lot of a lot of my listeners are in the throes of this right now because whether Good. we like chat GPT or not, it has raised awareness and right. at the and increased. The possibilities, where can we go?
1: And it's not a matter of liking or not liking. It's, uh, you know, the thing is there uh now you know
0: it's 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 causing people to to really think more about machine yeah. learning and AI so
1: which is you know what the PC did in the 1980s you know now yeah, we have absolutely, unlimited absolutely. brain capacity on our desk you know it's going to change everything <laughs> uh look it did it, it did and then yeah. the internet changed everything and now you know some of these things will change everything again but probably not quite in the way we expect but probably in the way that we don't expect. So it's, it's yeah, uh, yeah. It's it'll be it'll be an interesting
0: time. Yeah. Hey, thanks again, Luke. I appreciate the time. Uh,
1: anytime. And uh, yeah, talk to you again. Sometime.
0: Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about embracing digital transformation at embracingdigital.com. Org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.